Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of the Savage Files podcast. I'm your host, Jade Savage, and you guys, I'm so happy you guys loved last week's episode. I've been getting so much love on the episode. Thank you so, so much for anybody who takes their time out to listen. I know I keep saying it, but I really am so, so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the support and kind words on the first episode of this podcast. I want to really jump into episode two here. We're going to recap kind of the last week that we've had on the Moscow, Idaho case, the four homicides, and there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff that has come out, but there's been a whole lot of stuff that has come out if that makes sense everything that's come out hasn't really given us anything to indicate who the suspect is or who did this crime or why or anything like that but police are starting to release some stuff and the public is starting to release some interesting facts as well so let's get into it really quickly i want to start off with that fox news article from last week that i talked about in last week's podcast episode the one where fox news put out the story kaylee's family said we never released that information we're getting lawyers involved that article is still up today the day that i'm recording which is december 18th um yeah somebody's lying there and it doesn't look great for the Gonzalez family. I'm not saying they're liars. I just think it's interesting because if that information was false, they would have had to take that down. Lawyers would have gotten involved and said, you guys are false reporting. So I just wanted to start off really quick by throwing that in there. So I want to first start talking about the white Hyundai Elantra. As of last week's podcast episode, police were looking for the Elantra. It wasn't urgent. Since then, police have come out and used the word critical. It is critical that we find the occupants inside the white Elantra. It's pertinent that we find the occupants of that vehicle. We want to know what they saw. I've been saying that I don't believe the people in the vehicle were necessarily the suspect. With them using the word critical, definitely I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. They're definitely more urgent to find the vehicle. And I'm always willing to change my mind about something if new evidence releases itself. That's healthy. That's normal. That's the adult thing to do is say, listen, all of the facts are pointing in a different direction. I'm 80-20. Um, 80% it's the witness. 20% it could be the suspect, which is more than it was last week. I would say it was about 90-10. So you got a little bit more. Let's talk about the new details that came out this week about the white Elantra. The first thing about the white Elantra that came out was a clerk at a gas station five minutes from the residence, five minutes east from the residence towards Troy, Idaho, said she had this feeling that she should check the cameras. So she did. And when she checked the cameras, she saw a white vehicle and it turned into a neighborhood off of Highway 8. Now, people have said that Dylan's friend Bethany owns a white Elantra and lives back in that neighborhood. That's speculation. I don't know how this whole Bridget thing fits into this case, but people are suspicious of Bridget. I don't know. I want to look her up. I don't know her last name. But if I can get her last name, I will look her up and I will see if she owns a white Elantra. Now, the shop clerk from the gas station released a photo. She took this blurry photo of this white car driving by real quick and she released it to the media. And everybody's saying this car doesn't look this this car doesn't look like an Elantra and I kind of agree it almost feels more of a hatchback um people are saying maybe a Prius I think is interesting but what I say in rebuttal to that is the police went to the gas station looked at the camera saw that it was a white vehicle and obtained eight hours of video footage 
from the gas station. So I feel like that's a pretty good indicator that they were at least intrigued in whatever this vehicle was doing on the morning of. Now, I've been trying to have the detectives back during this case and say, listen, guys, we got to trust the police. We got to trust the police. But they really blew it on this one. As a private investigator, when someone hires us to look into uh, a certain event that happened, we can go to establishments and ask for surveillance footage. We don't need a warrant. And they don't have to give it to us, but they can or they will. It's up to the owner or whoever has the video. But we know our first instinct is we have to go to every chain restaurant or gas station like a McDonald's, Taco Bell, Safeway, any type of gas station usually has surveillance cameras. So I thought surely police would at least canvas the immediate area, any gas station, especially any gas station. And any fast food restaurant, anything like that for any possible surveillance footage. Well, we learned that cops didn't do that. Cops did not go canvas this video. And not only did they not canvas that video, but the places that they did canvas, it took them nine days to get there and canvas the video. Which is, if anybody doesn't know, in a lot of businesses, surveillance will record for 24 hours for seven days. After that seven days, it starts to record over what the previous week recorded. So now it's recording over already used footage. So essentially, it can go seven days, 14 days, 30 days, just depending on the system that they have. So essentially, whatever whatever was recorded for seven days gets recorded over. So if police didn't go until nine days later, and police know this, okay? So please go check out surveillance footage nine days later. At that point, the footage that was from the incident is now being recorded over. I am not law enforcement, and I know this. So there's no way you can convince me that law enforcement doesn't know this. And I hope I explained that clearly, because I kind of confused myself when I was explaining it. So if you're further confused, I'm so sorry. Just DM me or shout me out in my life, and I'll try and re-explain it <laughs> for you guys. A couple days after the gas station footage was released. A neighbor in an apartment complex below that residence on Taylor Avenue claims they got surveillance video of the white car. They explained it as a light colored or white car driving by at the hours between 2.45 a.m. and 3.15 a.m. And they were going west on Taylor Avenue, which would be going towards the residence into the neighborhood. Now, I'm not law enforcement, so I can't say for sure, but this would be my best assumption that this is where they got the white Elantra from in the first place. They obtained this video two days after the incident occurred. So yeah, this would probably be the first time that they're seeing the white Elantra on film two days after the incident. My guess is after they got that surveillance video, they went to the AMW gas station at the end of Taylor Avenue going east away from the residence to see better footage of the Elantra. What I find very interesting is if they got footage of the side of the vehicle from the neighbor's house and they got footage from the ANW gas station, the car would have had to been turning on to Taylor Avenue turning right on a Taylor Avenue at the gas station. How did they not get a license plate? Did the vehicle not have a license plate? How didn't they get a license plate? Was the camera, was the CCTV not good quality? Did it have a license plate? Can we see what license plate the state is from? And for anybody curious, if the vehicle had a license plate and they were able to make out the license plate, they would not need the public's help on understanding whose vehicle this belongs to. They would already know who the vehicle belongs to. So that's how we know that they don't have the tag number because I've seen people who have said, well, could they possibly have the license plate number and just not be telling us? That literally makes no sense. My thoughts on the car 
is why don't we have a timestamp of when the car left the neighborhood? Did the car leaving the neighborhood leave out a different way? Did the car leave the neighborhood and they know what time it left the neighborhood and they just don't want to tell us? Why would they tell us what time the vehicle entered the neighborhood if they're not going to tell us the time the vehicle left the neighborhood? Would that indicate that that's the suspect? Because if the vehicle entered the neighborhood between 2.45 and 3.15, wouldn't that have been caught on police body cam footage? Or wouldn't that have been caught on police dash cam footage? Because the police were in that field at 3.01 a.m. So did they arrive into the neighborhood at 2.45? Or did they arrive in the neighborhood at 3.15? Because if this vehicle arrived into the neighborhood before 3.01 a.m., it wouldn't be on any body cam and it wouldn't be on any dash cam footage. If they had this vehicle on body cam footage or dash cam footage, that would have given another angle of the vehicle, the occupants inside of the vehicle, and the license plate number. And before anybody says it, I know what you guys are thinking. There was a white vehicle that was caught on body cam footage entering the neighborhood. Police have already spoke out and said that the vehicle, the white vehicle that's on body cam footage is not the vehicle the police are looking for. Because if this vehicle was entering the neighborhood at 2.45 to 3.15 a.m. and we didn't see when the vehicle left or we don't know if they saw when the vehicle left, did this person drop somebody off at the residence and then go somewhere else in the neighborhood and wait for the crime to be committed for the person who committed the crime to walk where the vehicle is located and leave as like a getaway car but they didn't want to park at the residence? Was this just an innocent bystander who might have witnessed something? Is this a friend of of one of the victims that was at the residence right before the incident happened. I think it's very interesting that the vehicle arrived into the neighborhood between 2.45 and 3.15 and they're not giving us an exact time. Why won't they give us an exact time? Now I'm getting lots of messages about Elantras all over the United States. There was this Elantra that's on the side of the road, eight hours away, banged up, no license plate. People are convinced it's the vehicle. Anybody who owns a white Elantra, you better watch out. While I'm not 100% convinced that the vehicle belongs to the suspect, it is one of the biggest things that has stumped me is, does this vehicle belong to the suspect? Cops are looking for it. They're adamant about looking for it. But if it, if it was the suspect's car, I feel like there would be an, a reward or there would be a lot more urgency around it because there's precious DNA in that vehicle. I don't know. And why hasn't the owner of the vehicle come forward if they're not guilty? You know, I definitely think that's suspicious. But also anybody who's tied to this case is getting death threats. So I don't know that I'd be jumping for joy. But at the end of the day, justice comes first over anybody's ego. So you would think that people would, would want to find the the killer people would want to find the person who did this some people aren't wired that way i guess speaking of the way that people are wired i don't even want to talk about this for a long period of time i'm just gonna say this enan einan however you say his name enan harsh the neighbor that came out and said that he heard the scream at 4 a.m and saw the black suv you guys if you're seeing anything that he's saying on the internet please don't believe it please do not believe what he's saying on the internet it is absolutely atrocious he's such a troll he's a gremlin please do not believe anything that he is saying and that's all i'm gonna say about it you guys keep sending me videos of him and i'm not watching them i will not give him the clout i will not give him the click i don't care not watching it he's a troll he's a gremlin and he's inaccurate on his information he wants he's a clout chaser and he just wants his five minutes so please guys don't believe what he's saying don't click on his videos don't give him that he doesn't deserve it now i want to talk about this cctv surveillance video that kaylee and maddie were caught on with jack s moments before they walked up to the food truck kaylee 
Emily and Maddie were walking by a business with Jack S, who is food truck guy, and they have a conversation and it goes like this. Kaylee says to Maddie, Maddie, what did you tell Adam? And Maddie replies and says, like, I told Adam everything. In the video, the two girls are walking down the street having a good old time. I mean, they don't seem scared. People keep saying that they sound distressed, but I don't really get that. They looked like two girls on the way to go get some food after a night out accompanied with a guy. They don't seem in distress. They don't seem like Jack S is disturbing them. They don't seem as though they're under distress. The business owner that released this video, she said she released this video to shed some light on the incident. And hopefully this brings things to perspective for people. And I guess I, I, guess I just don't really understand what it brought to us. My mom and I disagree on this a little bit because for me, I'm thinking this really didn't do anything. All it did was show us that Jack S was with the girls. They didn't seem distressed or upset that he was there. But I don't know that it necessarily convinced me that they wanted him there. Any 21-year-old can attest to walking down the street of Old Town or a little small downtown area. And there's a guy that's annoying that you know that's like following you or walking with you. And you just don't really pay attention to it. We've all been there. In saying that, it proves to, I guess, the world the nation, whoever you want to say, it proves that Jack S wasn't stalking them and following them and being creepy in the shadows. And when he put his hoodie up, it wasn't as daunting. Maybe he was just cold, you know? So I agree that it sheds Jack S in a different light in that sense, but it doesn't necessarily make me believe that he's innocent of this crime. It doesn't make me feel like he's guilty. It just makes me feel really nothing. It doesn't really change my perspective of Jack S. Now, what I do find interesting is anybody who attaches themselves to this case, if there's a name like this Bridget girl or Dylan's boyfriend or people who are an outsider who's brought into this case, they have their background being looked into, their social media is being torn apart, and anybody that's associated with this case is under a microscope. So to release this surveillance footage and say, well, it's innocent CCTV footage where we want to show the girls just being girls chit-chatting. They're talking about Adam. People have already found this Adam guy. They've sent me this profile. They're saying he's the bartender and he's also one of the Jack's roommates and he's this and he's that and he's this and he's that. People are looking into this Adam. People are receiving death threats over this case. It's not so innocent just to involve another person, especially another guy. Thank goodness he doesn't have a J name though. Thank goodness. So immediately with the mind that I had, I'm thinking this is some type of backwards situation where Kaylee's dad is coming out and saying, yeah, we got the surveillance video early on. We looked into Adam. We did our due diligence. He's not, he's just the bartender at the corner club and he's nothing of relevance. And then you have the owners of, and then you have the owners of the business who released the footage saying this is innocent footage, right? But what if Adam isn't so innocent. What if police are putting the pressure on Adam because he knows something? Because let's be honest, Adam would be a huge, he would know so much about that night because the girls were at the corner club for what, five hours? He saw them, he talked to them. Clearly, Maddie said, I told Adam everything. So in my mind, he's a great witness. He can tell the, the police what they were talking about. Were they worried? Did they seem in distress? What was the topic of conversation? Stuff like that. They can take this 
surveillance footage and say, listen, Adam, Maddie says she told you everything. What is she talking about? I'm sure Kaylee's text messages also add up to this. If Adam really was roommates with Jack D, did is that why Maddie and Kaylee went back to the residence and started calling Jack because Kaylee was worried about what Adam was going to tell Jack D? I mean, that is, I mean, that's pretty cohesive in the sense of that makes sense. That makes sense. But what if Adam's not cooperating? What if police think that he's hiding something? The only way to get him to maybe crack is to put a little pressure on him, you know? I'm not saying Adam is involved. I don't want to speculate if he's involved. All I'm saying is I think that them putting Adam's name out is very suspicious. What was the point of that? What was the point of ruining another innocent person's life by putting them spotlighted on this investigation knowing how intense of an investigation this is? I'm in Colorado and I understand how intense this is probably affecting people in Moscow. So being somebody in Moscow, don't you think that they would understand that releasing Adam's name is like releasing the vultures? So I definitely think it's interesting. Do you guys think that they released Adam's name because it was oh so innocent or do you think there could be an underlying reason why they they released his name? And do you guys feel like this video made you look at Jack S differently? Do you think that it maybe made you look at him like he wasn't a threat to these girls? Did it make him go down on your suspect list? What do you guys think? Yesterday, body cam footage was released from September 1st, 2022 of police responding to a noise complaint at the residence of 1122 King Road. While this body cam footage has nothing to do with the murder case of the four victims, it's still very informative and very interesting to watch. And also, I'm very intrigued as to why police released it, like this specific body cam footage. For anybody who hasn't seen body cam footage, police arrive at 1122 King Road. The house is lit up. All the lights are on. There's lots of music playing, lots of cars outside, clearly a lot of people inside of the house. After police wait outside of the residence for 10 minutes, a female, a blonde female, answers the door of the residence. A lot of people are speculating this is Bethany. When the police ask if she lives there, she says no. People are assuming she did this because she's 20 and doesn't want to be obviously caught underage drinking. Anyways, let's move on. In the video footage, she says, I'll go find the people who do live here. She closes the door. Police are outside. They're waiting. They're looking into the windows of the of the downstairs rooms. Then two gentlemen come to the door. They say, we don't live here. Everybody that lives here isn't here. We don't know who lives here. We're, we don't come to this house. We live across the street. We just came over here. We were let in. I don't know. I don't know who owns this house. I don't know what sorority this is involved with. I have no idea. Cops are kind of berating them, giving them a little bit of a hard time. Actually, a lot of a hard time. Cops are giving them a hard time. They, The two boys that... The two boys are like, okay, would you like us to figure out who lives here and we can see if we can call them? Police are like, yeah, do that. Police then get Maddie Mogan on the phone and the police say, do you live at 1122 Queen, Queen Road? And she doesn't correct him. And she gives her information to the police officer. Da, 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 da. People aren't convinced that it's Maddie on the phone. They said it doesn't sound like her. I really can't attest to that. It's hard to say. I, I haven't really heard Maddie speak in full sentences. So hard to say. But what's interesting about this footage and what we can take away from it is, one, how many people are clearly at the residence all the time. Two, people at the residence don't even know the girls. Or maybe they do and they don't know it's their residence. Maybe these people were lying because the cops were there. I'm not certain. But there are people that might not even know Maddie and Kaylee live there that are inside of their home. They have the code to the door. It shows you how many people have access to that code to the front door and have access to the house just in general. And by no means 
just because this is happening at their house does does not mean they deserve what happened to them by any means. So I want to make that clear. All I'm trying to bring to light by bringing this up is saying it shows you how many people are in the house every single weekend, how much DNA is in that residence, how many people had access to that code. All it takes is, oh, I'm going to invite my friend Miranda over. I got to run to the store. I'm going to be back. Then Miranda invites somebody else over that they don't necessarily know. And Miranda's like, yeah, just walk in the house. Here's the code. And then that person now has the code. And then if that person invites somebody over, it's, oh yeah, just come over. Here's the code to the front door. And it's just a revolving door of anybody that comes to the residence has access to that code. And I really don't imagine that the back door was probably locked first of all and then second of all I don't imagine it would have been hard to get the code in the first place we know there was no breaking and entering at the residence so why would somebody go through a window when they could go through a door which goes along with my theory that the person who did this knew the girls and has been in that house that house is so confusing on the second floor alone there's like seven doors you have doors to the pantry you have doors to an empty bedroom you have a door to a bathroom you have a, a door to the bedroom you have a door to the outside closet that's just on the second floor alone then you go upstairs and there's you know a a couple few doors up there too you know and so for me I just think even on the first floor there's like four doors the chances of somebody that's never been inside that residence walking in and knowing exactly where they're going to find Xana and Ethan's room and they know exactly where they're going to find Maddie or Kaylee's room they would you don't want to be inside of a residence if you're going to a home to murder people you're not just gonna walk around and open a bunch of doors and hope for the best. You're killing time. You're in somebody's home. You don't know who will walk out, when, where, and why, and how many people. So the chances of that person walking in that house, knowing exactly where they were going to find Xana's room on the second floor with seven other doors, and then going upstairs to find Maddie or Kaylee, it just doesn't make sense that it would be somebody random. You would have to be opening all the doors to see where all the doors are going. I also think it's hard watching that body cam footage. You see how lively the house was, how proud they must have been to live there with all of their best friends, in this really cool house that everybody loves to come to you're known as like the cool kids in town who have this really sick house and it's not a fraternity house where it's being monitored by people it's just an off-campus house and it's yours and it's they're literally living every 20 year old college kids dream living with their five best friends in a really sick house with all these cool levels people are you know they love to go up on the roof people are out back sitting on the couch that's outside people are in the kitchen people are on the bottom floor people are on the top floor there's tv you know i mean they were out there living the living the dream, living every college girl's dream. As this case has continued to go on, we have gotten quite a bit of surveillance video. And I think that people ask me all the time, do you think police are withholding a bunch of information? Yeah, because in the last week alone, we've gotten body cam footage. We've gotten camera footage from a gas station. We've gotten camera footage from a residence. We've gotten told that police canvassed a liquor store and canvassed a bunch of other businesses. We've gotten the surveillance video from the business. We've gotten the white Elantra. We've gotten a lot of names of people who own white Elantras. We've gotten Adam's name. And that's just what they've released to us let alone what they actually know so yeah I absolutely believe that police have a lot more information than we do and people I see it every day people are like I'm losing interest or this case is going cold or this case is dying down or this case is gonna go unsolved and I just am not convinced I'm really not convinced I'm really optimistic I think something big is coming people keep saying oh it's really quiet yeah it's the calm before the storm 
I truly believe it's the calm before the storm. I talked on my live about how all of these news reporters like Brian Enton and other news outlets, they're still in Moscow. We know that the reporters on on the ground in Moscow are getting inside information from inside sources. So for me, I'm thinking, and this is this may not even be true, but this is just my thought process. I'm thinking, do they know something? Do they know there's going to be an arrest made? Do they know something is going to break loose soon? And that's why they're still in Moscow. Because if this case was going to go cold and go, you know, go unsolved, there's a million other cases across the country that could be covered by these news outlets. But they every day have Brian out there to report on this case. When I brought that theory to my mom, my mom said either that or on the opposite side of the spectrum, they're not telling reporters anything, which means reporters are trying to stay out there because they don't know if something's going to break loose and they don't want to not be there when it does. In the Gabby Petito case, Brian Enton had said that he knew all along that the neighbor behind the laundry's house, they put in cameras and he knew it the whole time, but he never reported it. He showed us a bunch of information and details that he knew during that time that he never reported on. They know things in Moscow. They're hearing the whispers. They know things. I'm not in Moscow. I'm covering this case a lot and talking about it a lot. And I know things that you guys don't know. I get told things from locals who have information, let alone being there being on foot in the town they know stuff they've heard a lot of stuff they have to be to be credible news outlets and they have to have credible information and it's the same with me that's why I only bring you guys stuff that is kind of out there any any names that I've gotten that you guys have never heard of I'm not gonna be the one to bring that to the internet absolutely not because it could be nothing or it could be the suspect and I'm not gonna be the person to blow the cover for the suspect Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Also, I believe if this case was going to go cold, they would release information to the public that could possibly help them catch the suspect or solve this case. So I believe before this case goes cold, they're going to release information so we can help solve this. At this point, the fact that they're not releasing information is a good sign, guys. And the fact that they're keeping everything really hush-hush is a good sign. They don't want something to get out that's going to hinder this investigation, which is a good sign. I want to continue to be positive about this. I think that somebody's going to be arrested soon. I'm hoping before Christmas, hopefully at least before the new year. And you guys know I'm always going to keep you updated. I'm going to say it on here because I say it everywhere else. If the suspect gets arrested and things break loose, just know to look for me on TikTok because we're going to be on live when that it's going to be crazy. That's going to be the craziest live. Today is Monday. I'm finishing recording this podcast. We'll see what this week has in store for us. Last week, like I said, it was nothing that was going to help us solve the crime. But there was a lot of information that was released last week, even though it was only one little tidbit here and there. There was quite a bit of information that we got last week. There's a lot to know. So whatever comes out this week, I'll keep you guys updated. If I have to make another podcast episode this week, I absolutely will. Thank you guys so much for spending time with me today. If you guys have any questions or you have thoughts on this case, DM me, pop into my lives. I'm live every night on TikTok or Instagram. Every night we talk about this case, the new developments, new people join us all the time. Everybody gives their two cents. And it's a really good way for us to be able to speak openly and freely together. If you guys don't follow me on TikTok, you can definitely go do that. Um, my TikTok is Jade with two E's, Sav, S-A-V-V, so Jade Sav. Um, follow me on TikTok for everything new in this case. I appreciate every single one of you so, so much. I wish I could give you all a virtual hug. Have a blessed week. Happy almost Christmas. Yay! And tune into my live later if you want to join the conversation. I'll see you there. Mm-hmm.